Fusion! It's good to see you guys tonight. Thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Somebody complimenting my shirt off the bat. Let's go. There's a spirit of encouragement stirring in the house. I feel it. I feel it. I feel it. I feel the joy. How are you guys doing? Excited. Okay. Okay. But see, I get, I get what you're doing. I, I hear what you're doing. Because just about every meeting that we have, I say that I am excited. Because I am excited. I am excited about what God is doing. Uh, there's actually nothing I'm more excited about, genuinely, than what God is doing. And that is not just here, but just period, like in life. And that doesn't mean that life is always easy. That doesn't mean the circumstances are always positive. But I know that God is always working. Anybody know that God is always working? You know that God is present with you? Do you know that God is present with you? Do you know that God is present with you? You know that God is alive? You believe he's alive? You believe he's with you? Today? This morning? Right now? Wherever you go? Okay, start acting like it. But what do we do when we don't act like it? What should we do when we don't act like it? Because how many of you guys act like it all day, that God is present with you? How many of you guys have every conversation like God is right there in the room? Does anybody work in a, in a customer-facing environment, any type of customer service? Okay. Do you sense God's presence with you in every customer interaction? Do you sense his presence, huh? Do you conduct yourself like Jesus is right there, like, what are we going to do with this customer interaction, this person with this attitude, this person who is ungrateful? You with your attitude, hmm? Hmm. We don't always act like God is with us. We don't always act accordingly. And so that's kind of the, the direction that I want to talk about tonight because it's not just you. I'm that way too. I feel like as a human being, uh, for, for God to be who he is and for God to be as good as he is, I don't always operate in a way that is worthy of who he really is. And I mean that as simply as uh, lately, I have been struggling to wake up in the morning and spend time with God Almighty. Some of that has to do with the fact that our son is uh, teething right now and he has, he has reverted back to like not sleeping all the way through the night. There was like this really, really, really rough period, the first like two, three months where it was just like the Wild West, where it was sleep was, it, you might get it, you might not. I would be scared. I would be so tired that I was like scared to go to sleep. I don't know if you've ever been there, but having a child will do that because I didn't know. I was so tired and I needed sleep so badly that I was like, if I fall asleep for 20 minutes and this kid starts screaming, I'm going to just wish I didn't go to sleep 
So then I'd be like, ah, oh, do I even do I even try? Or do I just wait around for him to start crying? It was rough. And then we hit kind of a smooth period. Uh, and we've had some ups and downs, some rough patches, but just like the last week, two weeks has been rough again. He's nine months old, and apparently there is something that happens at the nine-month mark because he's got all types of stuff going on. He's crawling, he's eating new foods, he's climbing and standing up, and he's doing all types of stuff, and it's, it's messing with his sleep, so it's messing with my sleep. And so there have been like many mornings where he'll wake up at like 5.30 in the morning crying. I'll wake up. I'll go tend to him or Gabrielle will, but it still woke me up. And I'll be there like, I could go read the Bible right now. I could. I could. I know I, I should because God is worth it. He's worth it. I know, I, I know like he'll meet with me. Like I know that, but there's a, there's a part of me that's like, but will he though? <laughs> you ever have those times where like, you, where, you, where you do try and you get up and you start reading and then it's like, bro, I'm so tired that I could fall asleep. Like I could use this as a pillow and just fall asleep. Those times are more rare for me, but those times happen. And those are the types of things that start going through my mind when I'm sleep deprived and I feel like "Ah, I could wake up, I could spend time with him. And lately, like for, I'll say like the past like two weeks especially, uh, I have the majority of days chosen sleep. Being real with y'all, I have chosen sleep sleep. And it's not that I haven't prayed at all or I haven't spent time with God, but I've wrestled with that. I've wrestled with that because I know, like inside I know that he's worth it. And I know that like he'll do something special. And I know that I need it because when waking up and spending time with God is not like a religious ritual. It's become like, like you wake up and you eat. Or does anybody wake up and drink coffee? Just a few of us. Wow. Not that many coffee drinkers. Not that many people with children, clearly. Um, Does anybody do energy drinks? Y'all do energy drinks? That's a different type of person. No caffeine. None. I respect that, man. There was a time in my life where I was no caffeine. And then I went to green tea. And then here I am. Drinking coffee. I just had a cup of coffee before I came up here. Amen? Amen. All right. So we don't need to get into a whole thing about caffeine. But here's, here's, here's what I'm saying is I've gotten to the point in life where I'm not just like trying to be a, a good Christian by spending time with God, but it's, it's a means of sustenance for me. I know that I'm kind of rolling the dice. If, if I don't wake up and spend some time with God... I feel like I don't know exactly what I'm walking into for the day, and I feel less prepared. When I do wake up and spend time with God, he is typically speaking something to me through his word, through, time, through my time of prayer that prepares me for the day, and I'm able to respond to what's going to take place in my day better than if I didn't. And so I understand that cost, that I'm like, mm, 
I would probably have a better day. But then the other part of me is like, ah, but I might be cranky though. You know what I mean? Just not getting enough sleep, all those things. Just realistic things. I don't know what it is for you, but has anybody struggled to spend time with God as much as they should? It's the most of the room. Why is that? Have you thought about that? Like, I know that you've thought about the fact that you could probably do better in that area, but have you thought about, like, why you don't? Discipline. That's real. Discipline is it's difficult. Discipline requires some type of motivation. It requires some type of inspiration. Like, there's got to be something that you're valuing when you're disciplining yourself because discipline is sacrifice. And when you're sacrificing, typically... If you're sacrificing, you're doing it, you're paying a cost to gain something. Like nobody goes and just gives away money to get nothing in return. Some of you are like, I do. Ah. <laughs> Even when you make a charitable donation, it makes you feel good, doesn't it? You get something in return. But typically... We don't want to pay costs that we don't view as worth it. And I would say that seeking God, spending time with God, but seeking God, like going after God, pursuing God costs us something. And and many of us, we are Christ followers, and yet we feel like we could probably do better in the area of actually seeking him. And if that's you... That's all of us. But I want to talk about tonight why that is and uh, maybe how we can see some improvement in that area. I just want to pray for us real quick and then we'll dive into it. Father, I thank you for your goodness. You are so good and kind and loving, Lord. And I pray that that's what we would see tonight. Lord, I pray that we would see the character of Jesus tonight. Lord, I pray that we would see you for who you are. I pray that we would see you tonight. You need to be the focus. So we invite you to reveal yourself, Lord. Appear to us, God. Speak to us. Show us your nature and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you've been here for the past few weeks, um, we've, been, we've been talking about a, a couple different concepts, but it's been revolving around this, this idea in 2 Chronicles 7.14, Uh, which says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And we've been diving into that in a couple different ways. Last week, we talked about um, how there's a response required to when God does anything in our lives, and God is a responsive God. He's a God who engages with us, and he desires for us to respond to him. And humbling ourselves comes as a response to God. This next concept, praying and seeking his face, sounds really good. Sounds like what every Christian should be doing. Sounds like what we should see taking place in all of the church, all across the world. And yet, if I ask you, like, how are you doing in this area? Like praying and seeking the face of God. Most of us will say, I could, I could be doing a little bit better in that area. 
And so for me, as I was thinking about like teaching this subject, like I'm evaluating my own life. I'm evaluating most of the people that I know. And I'm saying this is more difficult than it appears. And if I just come up with a hoorah, let's pray and seek the face of God and experience a revival. Great. But tomorrow, like when the same circumstances are in your face and the same reasons that you didn't seek God yesterday face you tomorrow, what's going to change? And that's what I want to talk about tonight. And I want to talk about the fact that uh, seeking God doesn't really come as a result of us like mustering up the will to do it. If that were the case, we'd be doomed because most of us can't really muster up the desire for God that we should have for him. And if, if this passage in 2 Chronicles was all we needed to experience the forgiveness and the healing of God, then he would have just left it at that. But he didn't. That was Old Testament. That was before Jesus even showed up. And what we see throughout the Old Testament is that they don't do this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and pray and turn from their wicked ways. But we don't see them doing that much. We see a lot of not seeking the face of God, not humbling themselves, engaging in wicked practices. And what does God do? He sends Jesus. And God intervenes on behalf of us in our relationship with him. He deserves for us to pursue him. If anybody should be pursuing somebody in this relationship between God and humanity, humanity should be pursuing God. Yet humanity does not pursue God. And God, instead of just wiping us all out, God pursues us. And when we can grasp that, that is the only place, the only realization, the only revelation that really births a desire to pursue him in our lives. I want to prove this to you in the scriptures. I want to go to John chapter 4. This is a very common classic passage of scripture. I've preached on it several times. I always see it a little bit differently every time that I read it. Uh, But we see Jesus at a well, Uh, a well, like a water well, waiting while his disciples go into town to get some food. They are in the town of Samaria, which is a place that as Jews, because Jesus and his disciples were Jews, traditionally, culturally, they wouldn't even want to go through this town because there was such a tension between Jews and Samaritans. So it's already kind of weird culturally that Jesus is even choosing to go through this town because it's actually out of his way. And then he's sitting at a well and a woman approaches. So we see John 4, chapter 7, says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Says his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This is a very peculiar situation. The woman goes up to a well. There's this guy she does not know sitting there. He asks her for a drink. She's thrown off because in this day and age, uh, men don't even talk to women in public, not even their wives. And yet this man is talking to this stranger woman who is of a race that he should be opposed to. So there's all these cultural reasons that he shouldn't be engaging with her. And this is why she's like, how is it that you are asking me for a drink? Like, what is going on here? This is a weird situation. And then Jesus doesn't explain why he's asking her for a drink. He says, well, if you knew who was asking you, you would be asking me for a drink. And I give you living water. And that sounds like real churchy terminology to you and I, but this was, this was normal terminology to them. There were different concepts, uh, when it, well, different descriptions of water. There was dead water, which was like the type of water that you don't want to drink, it, kind of the, the, run, the one that runs through the sewage drains and all that stuff. And then there was living water. Living water was the kind that you actually wanted. It was fresh water. It was, it was water that you would actually want to drink. And we see throughout the scriptures that God compares himself to living water. And so this is, culturally, this is very relevant to her. This is like if, if nowadays, if you go to an ATM and there's a man sitting at the ATM and you're going to withdraw and he's like, let me get some money. And you're like, why would you be asking me for money? And he's like, well, if you knew who was asking you, you'd be asking me and I'd be giving you endless money. <laughs> and like, what do you do with that? <laughs> who is this person and what is he talking about? And the funny thing is, you look at the rest of the story, she never gives him the drink of water. And it says that he was tired from his journey. Like he's sitting at the well and she never gives him the water. He never gets a drink of water, but that's not what he was there for. Jesus asked her to do something actually as a setup to offer her something. And I wonder how often God is doing that in, in your life and in my life. Could it be that some of the things that God is even asking you to do right now is really a setup for something he wants to do for you? I would say it absolutely is, because really, what does God need from you? You know, like, what do you, what do you really, like, bring into the table with God? Even Jesus, Jesus, this is the same Jesus who turned water into wine. This is the same Jesus who multiplied two fish and five loaves of bread to feed thousands of people. If he's thirsty, I think he could figure it out. <laughs> this is the same Jesus that when they asked him to pay taxes, he tells Peter, go fish, get a fish, open up the fish's mouth, and the tax money will be in there. This is that Jesus. Like, if he wants something, he can get it. 
And yet he asked this woman to do something for him, not really because he needed something, but because he wanted to offer her something. And when I look at my own life, I can see this, that anything that Jesus has asked me to do has not benefited him. It's benefited me. All the costly things, the inconvenient things that God asks me to do, it makes me better. It benefits me. God, I can't think of a need that God has. Just think for a moment. Think of a need that God has. What does God need? The one who created everything. The one who created you. The one who created need. (laughs) Desire. He created that. What does he need? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God was already there to begin the beginning. What does he need? God created the whole universe. The whole universe. The whole thing. What does he need? And this is the God that shows up on earth as a baby, lives life, and is walking around as this 30-year-old dude. He stops at a well and asks this woman a question. This is amazing. Clearly, there's some purpose behind what he's asking here because he doesn't need anything. You and I, maybe we struggle with seeking God because behind it all, we feel like we're really offering something to him. Like God, like God needs us to do this. Like, oh, this is very inconvenient. For me, like, I want to sleep. God doesn't need me to wake up and go pray. He's not walking around talking to the angels like, man, I wish Vance would just get up. I really need to ask him something. There's something that he knows that I don't know, and I just need to consult with him about this situation that I got going on in the Middle East, trying to figure out a solution and would like to consult with him. No, God does not need me for anything. And yet, I'm the one that hesitates to engage with him. And I choose to do other stuff instead of engaging with him. Why? I would say Jesus addressed it here. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This is language that that reflects other passages of scripture. Isaiah 55, one says, come all you who are thirsty. Old Testament, this is 700 something BC that this is being written. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters 
And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. That's God inviting people to himself. All you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Jeremiah 2.13, Old Testament. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've gone to something else that can't even hold the things that they need. These are the two sins that God's people had committed against him. They, have t- they had turned away from the, s- the true source, and they had come up with another one that really couldn't provide them what they needed. Have you ever done that in life? Have you ever been like, you know what, God is not quite doing it for me. I just need to make something happen over here. I just need to indulge a little bit over here. I just need to dig something up over here and just have a backup plan. I need to have a vice. Spring of living water. Zechariah 14.8, a prophecy about the end times. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it east to the Dead Sea and half of it west to the Mediterranean Sea in summer and in winter. And then we see... All these years later, Jesus Christ walking around and saying stuff like, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that was asking you, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. This is a hint to say, I'm God. And I have perceived that you have a need. And I've actually come to address that, not my own need. But he says this, if you knew the gift of God and who it is, and that's really point one that I want to point out from the scripture. If you knew the gift of God and who it is. Do you see Jesus as a gift? Do you see God as a gift? Because a gift is something that's given to you. Or do you view yourself as the gift to give to God? I think that something inside of us feels like we're a gift, like we're the gift that we're giving to God. This time in the morning, this, let me give you this hour gift, God. You'll be so pleased. That's an hour of you getting a gift. But even me, I struggle with that because something in me says, ah, is it though, or is this sleep the gift? (laughs) And Jesus understands this. This is why he's approaching this woman and having this conversation, because he's making her aware of her ignorance. She doesn't know the gift of God. And most of us really don't. We don't really get it. We don't really see Jesus as the gift of God. We view him as wanting something from us. We view him as needing something from us, as demanding something from us. And so we'll talk about the rules, we'll talk about the requirements, and not really talk about the gift. Jesus is the gift of God. He says that language for a reason. He says, if you knew, if you knew, 
if you knew the gift of God, you would be asking me for it. That's point two. If you knew the gift of God and who it is, too, you would ask him. Very, very simple. But instead, we don't. Something in us wants God to ask us. We want God to ask us for stuff. And then we'll do things for God, like come to church, like like we came here because God was asking us to come here. God needed us to come here. Or we somehow get a pat on the back for engaging with him in some sort of way. And we get it backwards that he's the gift. We, we get to experience God. And that may sound very, very simple. It is. But that's actually the root of why most of us don't seek God. You only seek after something you want. Close your eyes for a second. What do you seek? What have you been seeking? Just think about it. What have you been seeking? What have you been going after? What have you been pursuing? What have you been desiring and moving towards and making plans to attain? What have you been going towards? You can open your eyes. I won't make you say it out loud. But for many of us, we didn't get God in our mind. It's stuff, things, circumstances. Some of us are seeking after a relationship. We're seeking after money. We're seeking after some form of relief. We're seeking after a career. We're seeking after some form of safety or security. We're seeking after something or even someone. But oftentimes, it's not God that we're seeking. Some of us serve God, but don't seek God. You know, you can, you can be serving God and not seeking God. But God desires your seeking more than he does your serving. Because God doesn't need anything from you. You actually get to serve God. I could be doing several different careers. When I think about the fact that I am a pastor, it's wild in my head. Especially when I have conversations with other people, other friends. And this, this is wild that I do this for a living. Like, this is what I do. And it's not my only option. And it comes with a lot of sacrifice. But if I'm honest with you, as much as this requires me to serve God and to serve other people, this is for my own good. If I'm honest, this is for my own good. I'm better off doing this than I would be doing anything else. Genuinely, I'm more fulfilled doing this than I would be doing anything else. 
So I can relate where Jesus is having this conversation and he's asking her to do something. But what he's actually doing is inviting her into a relationship with him. And sometimes the things that God is asking us to do, I won't even say sometimes, all of the time, the things that God is asking you to do are an invitation into relationship with him because he doesn't actually need you to do anything. There is nothing that he needs. I can't say that enough. What does he need? He can make anything from anything. He can make something from nothing. And yet he invites us to do stuff. You think he can't reach the people that he wants you to reach without you? He can, but he wants you to do something. He invites you to do something. This woman had the opportunity to give God a drink of water. That's actually an amazing opportunity. How many of you guys have had that opportunity? How many of you guys have had a conversation with God face to face, walking around in human flesh? She had a very unique opportunity presented to her that seemed like a regular day. And the things that you have going on right now that may seem like just a regular day, this is divine opportunity. You hearing the gospel right now, the word of God right now, this is divine opportunity. This is opportunity for you to connect with God. When we, if we, at the end of your life, if we look back at everything that took place in your life, it's moments like this that actually mattered the most. Guarantee you. And I promise you, when, when you actually hit that eternity space, it's going to be the moments like this that mattered the most. Whether you made a decision for God or against God, it is the, it's the moments like this where you actually have to make a decision. It's the moments like this where you hear who God is and what he actually desires for you. Like this is the most important stuff. And he's a gift. And if we understood the gift, we would ask him. But the crazy thing is, even when we don't ask him, he shows up. She didn't ask him for anything, and he still showed up at a well waiting for her. You didn't seek God, and he still sought you out. You didn't pursue God, and he still pursued you. Look at the little effort you've given towards God, and then look at the immense effort that he's given towards your life. He's a gift. He's the gift. He doesn't have to do any of this. The fact that you are here right now, you didn't have to make it. No, seriously. You don't have to be here right now. I don't have to be here right now. If I just looked at the odds... All the odds were stacked against me being here right now doing this. But God, when I look back at my life, like these are the reasons that I even pursue God is just in response to all that he's done, all the ways that he's pursued me. Surely he's worth me praying to when my prayer doesn't offer anything to him. It opens the door for him to give something to me. It does. God doesn't walk away from our prayer times filled (laughs) because I prayed. I walk away filled because I prayed. 
I got the water. I didn't bring it. I didn't bring it. He meets me. He gives to me. I can look back at moments in my life. I was walking out of a club at like two in the morning and a homeless dude prophesied to me. I promise you. Like I was, I had, I had these, I had some wings. Cause it's Atlanta. Some of y'all will know what I'm talking about. Hopefully you don't. But I'm walking out of a club with some wings. I see a homeless dude that he's like sitting on the road. He says something to me and I ask him if he's hungry. And he said he was. So he actually gets up. I give him the wings. He's walking with me, eating. And then literally starts prophesying over me. And I went home shook. Like God just met me through this random homeless dude. And so when I look at this encounter, this, these are the things that I think about. The fact that, that God will seek us out. It's like even when I was just trying to do my own thing, I wasn't trying to run into God. I wasn't leaving the club trying to run into God. But God approached me. And God pursued me. And God met me. And that's the only reason that I seek him. That is really the only reason that you'll seek him. Is when you understand, when you know the gift of God. When you can look at the fact that he has pursued you. You'll actually, that's when you'll ask him for what you actually need. Because she was coming to this well day in and day out. And, and Jesus is not offering her physical water. He's offering her relationship with God. But if we view connecting with God as a withdrawal from us, we'll never actually understand what connecting with God is actually about. Because he's saying, like, if you knew, if you knew who I was, like, you would be coming to me to receive I don't actually need anything from you. But like I said earlier, many times we'll look at spending time with God as like a withdrawal from our account when it's a deposit. No, nobody hesitates to receive money. Like if, if, if you want to add some numbers to the account balance, by all means. You want to take some away? <laughs> Hold on. We need to have a conversation. I need to make sure this is worth it. And we do the same thing with God. Something in us says this is a withdrawal. Coming to church, I had to fight through traffic. And this is a withdrawal. No, it's not a withdrawal. This is a deposit. You're not giving anything to God. God is giving himself to you. He's what you need. He's what I need. This is the only reason that I do this. When I think about doing anything else, I'm just like, it's just not as important as this. Because if, 
if I can help people get to Jesus, I just can't think of anything more important. I can't think of anything more impactful. I can't think of anything more worthwhile to give my time to. Because most of the things that we're seeking after in life are not going to give us what we're seeking them to get. And so we'll seek after stuff and the stuff doesn't get... Because when we're seeking after stuff, it's not the actual stuff that we're looking for. A lot of times we're looking for some type of security. We're looking for some type of approval. We're looking for some type of affirmation. We're, some, we're looking for some type of feeling like I'm good enough. Typically when we're going after stuff, we're going after something that we feel like the stuff is going to provide. But the stuff doesn't provide it. It doesn't matter what it is, even if it's a relationship. If, if, if you are going after a relationship, if you're desiring for a relationship, that's not a bad thing. But it's not going to give you everything you think that it's going to give you. It's not going to provide for you everything that you feel like you need. In fact, we see this in this story, that later in this story, Jesus is having a conversation with this woman. And he's like, all right, go tell your husband. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus is like, I know. Because you've had five. And the guy you're with right now is not your husband. But I want you, but I want you to look at, look at this. This is who Jesus chose to approach. Knowing what she had going on. And what does he say? If you knew who I was, you'd be asking me. I know that you've been looking around. I know that you've been seeking in, in all these other places. And you've shown up disappointed. I mean, imagine how this woman, the type of wounds that she had to have, had to have experienced being divorced five times. Especially in this day and in, in this current day and age, not the current, but the past day and age. I'm talking about the current day and age of the story. When you're looking at them, that was men would divorce their wives. And so these are five different dudes who said, can't do it. Get married again, can't do it. Get married again, can't do it. Married again, sorry, can't do it. Too much. Imagine the type of wounds that this woman has had and the types of insecurities that she could have, the types of pain that she's experienced. Imagine her self-image that had to have been affected. Her self-esteem, her self-confidence, her self-worth. And yet Jesus is saying, well, if you knew who was asking you, you would ask me for what you're looking for. Because this is all of our story. It's all of our story. You may not have been through what she's been through, but you've been through something. And you've been through situations that have impacted you negatively. You've been through things that have made you question yourself. You have pursued things that did not fulfill you in the way that you thought that they would. It's just that right now you're in one of two spaces. You've convinced yourself that something else is going to do it. And you're pursuing that. Or you've come to the conclusion that Jesus is actually the one who can fulfill you. And I would say there are much more people, much more of us in this category over here that we say, okay, Jesus, love you, appreciate the cross. That was amazing. However, I do have all these goals, all these dreams, all these things that I'm desiring, 
And if I'm honest, I'm seeking after these things more than I'm seeking after you. Most of us find ourselves in that category. And I would say that it is only through an encounter with God that that we shift from that space. This is why Jesus is going to meet this woman. It is to give her an encounter with God that will change her life. He didn't send her a sermon. He didn't send her some scriptures. He approached her. He encountered her. He didn't send somebody to minister on his behalf. He didn't tell the disciples, hey, there's going to be a woman coming to this well, and I want you to tell her about me. It was the one-on-one encounter that shifted things for her, which brings us to point three, which, was he, which is he would give you living water. If you knew the gift of God and who it is, the gift of God is Jesus. If you, if you believed that, then you would ask him. You would seek him. You would pursue him if you understood who he really was and what he really had to offer. You would pursue him and then he would give you living water. I'm so glad that we have a God who doesn't just have us pursuing him our whole lives and we never get anything. Because that's what a lot of religions experience, is this pursuit of God, this pursuit of whatever it is that they're pursuing, and never get it. And yet, we have a living God who would say, if you knew who I was, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. I would give you something that could satisfy you right now. That's a big statement. That's a big statement. That's a big check to cash. That Jesus is saying that if you and I knew who he was, we would ask him for what he's offering and he would give it to us. And what he's offering us would actually fill us and satisfy us now. Now. Not if you knew who I was, you'd ask and I'd let you into heaven. Because that's what most of us view Christianity as. That is God going to let me into heaven or is he not? I had a conversation with one of my neighbors just a few days ago about this in particular. He was asking me, hey, man, do you think that Jesus is really the only way? We were in the gym. I didn't expect the conversation to go this way. He's like, do you think that Jesus is really the only way to get into heaven? Because I, I just believe that there's no way that, that God would be sending all these other people to hell. I'm like, well, why do you believe in heaven? Why do you believe in it? Why is that what Christianity is all about to you? Did Jesus come and only talk about getting into heaven or going to hell? That's not what he says to this woman. He doesn't say, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me, and when you die, you won't go to hell. That's what we've reduced Christianity to. That's where we've put all the focus. 
We've shifted all the focus to that. But I want to I go to the next scripture where in verse 13, he says, everyone who drinks this water, talking about the water in that well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Yes, eternal life is where you'll get to, but you'll also have something right now that satisfies you. So for me, I prefer what Jesus is saying, that I don't have to go throughout my life completely unsatisfied and unfulfilled, and yet, congratulations, I get to walk through these pearly gates. That's not what he's talking about. That's like all these other ideas infringed on the scriptures. It's not. I'm not saying that heaven and hell do not exist. I'm saying that Christianity does not revolve around just these two polar eternal destinations. God is telling a much greater story. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's Genesis. Revelations, there's a new heaven and a new earth. So in between that story, there's a lot that God is saying, and there's a lot that God is doing. And God has plans for your life now, for your life on earth, and for your life for all of eternity. But there's going to be a lot of stuff that God is unfolding over the next I don't know, three billion trillion years. I don't know what all he has planned. But what I do know is what I have going on today. And I'm grateful that God will meet me today and get me to tomorrow and get me to the next day. And he's promising to keep me full all the way throughout all of eternity. Now, that's a beautiful promise. And that's what Jesus is actually offering. And he's saying, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for the satisfaction that you're looking for everywhere else. And I would say that God is saying the same thing to you and me today. That you can pursue anything on the planet. But God is making a big statement saying that I'm the only one that can fulfill you. Jesus is saying he's the only one that can fulfill you. What is he talking about when he says living water? Well, we see a little further in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus stands up at a, fe- at a festival and he says, come to me, anyone who's thirsty, and I'll give you living water. And he says, for all who believe in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. What's he talking about? Well, what does Jesus give to all who believe in him? What does he give? We, this is a room full of a lot of Christians. Hmm? The Spirit! The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, 
Jesus makes a promise that we can take him up on. And it's this. If you actually respond to Jesus, if you open yourself to Jesus, if you invite Jesus in, you lay your life down and invite him to have his way, he will respond. He will fill you. He will fill you with his essence, his spirit. The Holy Spirit goes by many names throughout the Bible, many descriptions. It's the spirit of wisdom, spirit of revelation, the spirit of leadership, the spirit that leads us into all truth, the spirit of truth, the comforter, the, the aid, the helper. He will fill you with God himself giving you everything you need. That is a huge promise. But it's the only reason that I'm standing here talking to you today because it's one that I can't deny. I can't say that I even agree with everything that God does, but I know when he's doing something. I don't always like what God does. Because God does stuff like tell you to forgive people you don't feel like deserve forgiveness. God tells you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and spitefully misuse you. These are the words of Jesus. So I don't always like what God is calling me to do, but I cannot deny his existence in my life, his activity in my life, the fact that he does speak to me. That when I open the scriptures, he does speak to me. And that the more that I've engaged with him, I am transformed. I'm changed. I'm different. I look at life different. I see things differently. I move with a different level of peace than the people that I know that don't have him. We can be in the same circumstances. I have Jesus. You don't. It is very different. Very different experiences. And when I, look at, when I look at his disciples, I'm challenged because these were not guys who had glamorous lives. God is not always inviting us into a glamorous life. He's offering us something real to hold on to even when life is not glamorous. He had, he had a crew full of fishermen Tax collectors, like these were not glamorous jobs. These are like, he's got a crew full of like Walmart workers and for real, like mechanics. And it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with the careers. It's not glamorous. He's not only choosing the, the million followers people and the models and the movie stars and, and putting together this super team of Avengers, Right. He's taking people who have regular situations and using them to change the world. But, but he's choosing people who have regular situations. And then the people who have, like, 
amazing situations, most of the time we see him call them to make immense sacrifices. This is why it's a huge contrast between John 3 and John 4, because in, in John 3, we see Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, person with a ton of status approach Jesus. He goes and pursues Jesus at night so that he wasn't seen by anybody because he didn't want to mess up his reputation. So he goes and approaches Jesus and says, man, I can't deny that, that God is with you with all the works that you're doing. And Jesus, he, he's the one who he tells that anybody who's to enter the kingdom, they have to be born again and they have to be born of the spirit. So it's talking about the Holy Spirit with him. He doesn't get it. And what does Nicodemus do? Nicodemus does nothing after that. Nicodemus is in the crew that votes to crucify Jesus because he didn't want to give up his accolades and his status. And so he goes to Jesus and says, I know God is with you because there's no way you could be doing all these miracles. But if I got to be like one of these fishermen dudes that you're running around with, I'm not with it. If I got to give up my fancy seat, my fancy clothes, all of my status, I can't do it. And so Jesus, after being approached by this guy, goes and seeks out this woman that all of society has rejected and makes a promise to her that that if you ask me, I'll give you living water. They have an amazing exchange. By the end of it, he reveals to her that he's the Messiah. And then she goes back. to She leaves her water bucket. She doesn't even get the water that she came to get. Still didn't give Jesus the drink of water. She goes back to her town and tells everybody about her encounter. And then it says that a bunch of people from the town came to pursue Jesus. And then it says that they tell the woman, we, we first believed because of what you said. But now we've had an experience and an encounter of our own. And now we believe, believe, because we've had an encounter. And the same God that met you met us. And can I tell you that that's what God wants to do in your life? That's why God's pursuing you. That's why God has you here right now. That's why God has you watching online. God has you hearing these words because he wants to meet with you right where you are. Everything you have going on, he already knows. And this woman... She was visiting the well in the middle of the day, which wasn't the, which wasn't the regular time to go draw water. Now, when we speculate about this, we could say like, oh, perhaps because of her reputation, she wasn't the most popular person and she's going when nobody else is there because she doesn't want to have to face anybody. And then after one encounter with Jesus... She becomes the greatest evangelist in Samaria. After one encounter with Jesus, the same issues that were keeping her quiet had her talking. Because what she went and said was, come and meet this man who told me everything that I've ever done. Well, what did you do? Oh, your mess, your dirt, your sin. He knew about all that, and he was sitting there waiting for you? Yeah, all the things that you and I have done have not kept God from pursuing us. 
And that is the only reason that we would actually seek him. And in his wisdom, he has the immense humility to come pursue us that can offer him nothing, that can really do nothing for him. He's the one who offers everything to us. All we can really do is receive what he has. And he has to get just pleasure in that because we can't give anything to him. And he does it. He pursues you and pursues me. And so I'm so grateful that even though he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I'm so grateful that he doesn't just leave us to muster up the energy and muster up the courage and muster up the effort to bypass all the stuff we have going on in life. And I'm so glad that he doesn't only approach us when we approach him. I'm so glad that he's so good that he would pursue me. And then I find myself, the only reason that, that I really humble myself and I seek him is because he humbled himself and sought me. Who am I? That he would meet me when I'm walking out the club. Who am I? That he would call me into a life of ministry after a life of sin. Who am I? Who are you? That God would meet you where you are. That God would have so much mercy on you. That God would have so much grace for you. You're his child. You're the one he created. He created you knowing how you would operate, how you would think, the ways that you would run from him, the ways that you would ignore him, the the things that you would seek after instead of seeking him. And he still will meet you in the middle of your day, offering himself to you, saying, if you could just understand what would actually satisfy you, you would actually come seek me. And you wouldn't just seek me and come back empty-handed. You would seek me and I would fill you. If you understood what worshiping would do for you, you would worship. If you understood what prayer would do for you, you would pray. If you understood how it will shift the atmosphere of your home, you you think you pray and it shifts the atmosphere of heaven? It doesn't. Heaven starts invading earth and starts shifting your atmosphere, starts changing things in your home, starts changing things in your relationships, starts changing things in your heart, starts getting sin out of your life, starts breaking chains off of you, starts freeing you from addictions, starts changing your perspective, starts encouraging you. If you knew the gift of God, you would ask and he would give you. Let's stand to our feet. And I want to pray over us. And I want the band to come out, and I want to give us some time to worship. Hmm. I actually want to read this last scripture before I pray. In verse 25 through 26, before she goes out and evangelizes, I thought this was interesting. I wasn't sure if I was going to share it or not, but I want to. Jesus is explaining all these things to her and having a conversation with her about worship and what true worship is. And the woman says, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. 
Have you ever been in a situation where God is trying to speak to you about something right now and you're saying, yeah, 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 when this happens. Yeah, yeah, when I get this figured out. When this circumstance changes. When all this develops. I love that, that Jesus, we actually don't really see him make a statement like this to anybody else. Everybody else, he implies all these things too, but we even see the Pharisees ask him, why don't you just tell us if you're the Messiah? And he won't just say it plainly because of the motive of their question. He's like, you guys already know what I've been saying. But with her, he's like, the one you're seeking is right here, right now. I'm him. I don't, I don't know how else to tell you. Like I've been telling you from, from the beginning, that what you're looking for is me. 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 Oh yeah, you, you want water? I got it. You want a relationship? I got it. Oh, oh you want the Messiah? Guess who, guess who the Messiah is? Oh, that's me. There's nobody else coming. It, it's, it's me. God's saying the same thing to you and I. There, there's, the one you're waiting for is him. He's here. What more are you waiting for? God's been speaking into your life. God has protected you. God has kept you. God has you right here, right now, when you don't have to be. God knows your past, and he knows your future. And he's inviting you into relationship with him. Not to give him something, but to receive something. He doesn't need you to protect him. He wants to protect you. He doesn't need you to provide for him. He wants to provide for you. He doesn't need you to teach him the truth. He is the truth and wants to teach you the truth. He doesn't need clarity. He wants to give you clarity. He doesn't need purpose. He's God. He wants to give you purpose. He doesn't need to be healed. He wants to heal. This is the God that is inviting you. That's who's inviting you. And he's saying, if you... If you could grasp it, Jesus says one time to his disciples, man, faith the size of a mustard seed. I mean, if you could just, if you could just believe enough to make one step, if you could believe enough to make one step, you'd be amazed what God will do. He says faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. And he's saying if you could just know the gift, you don't have to buy the gift. You don't have to go get the gift. If you could just understand the gift and ask for it, he'd give you something that would satisfy you right now. He would fill you right now. I believe he's saying that to us tonight in Atlanta. Jesus will fill you right now. Jesus will fill you tonight. When you go to meet with him tomorrow and the next day, he will fill you. He will fill you. He will fill you. He will speak to you. He will move in your life. And even if nothing else around me changes, I can be full here. And I can deal with what's going on around me. It's when I got nothing here. It's when I got nothing in the tank that everything around me is taking me out. But Jesus can fill you right now. That is what he's offering. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Stop waiting to encounter him on judgment day. He wants to encounter you right now. Right now. 
So I want to pray for us, and then we're going to go into a time of worship. And this is an opportunity. This is encounter time. This is an encounter opportunity. Jesus met this woman at this well. She went and told people, and they came and met Jesus. Each and every disciple met Jesus. When Jesus resurrected, everybody who came to him met the Holy Spirit, received the Holy Spirit. He's not just asking you for blind faith that you never get anything from. He wants to meet you. So with every, with every eye closed, I want to pray. Jesus, I thank you so much that you want to meet with us. You want to meet with us right now, tonight. God, I thank you for your promise. You referred to the Holy Spirit as the promise. Not, not a maybe, but a promise. Not a possibility, but a promise. And so, Father, I thank you for every person who, who is in need today. You said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Lord, I thank you for every person who, who can see a need for you in their lives because you want to fill them. Lord, I thank you for every person who's been far from you that's feeling your drawing today, God, that's wanting to come close to you, that's wanting to know you, that's wanting to dedicate themselves to you, God. I thank you for every person who's seeing your goodness right now for the first time in a long time. Lord, I thank you that you, you aren't blind to our sin, but you've paid for our sins. You've taken our sins on your shoulders. The punishment that brought us peace was upon you. It was for our sins, our iniquities, everything that we've done wrong. That, that is why you experienced the cross. And Lord, I thank you for every sin that you've paid for. God, we thank you so much that you don't wait for us to deal with our sin, to come into relationship with you, Lord, but that you've dealt with our sin so that we can come into relationship with you. Before we go any further, if you're in here needing to step into a relationship with God, if you're wanting to follow Jesus, make a decision to not do life your way anymore, but, but you're saying, hey, I, I think I'm getting a glimpse of this gift of God and I want to ask him and I want to actually receive. I just want to lift. I want you to lift your hand in the air so that I could pray for you. His hand's going up. This is a moment. This is a moment for you. This is a moment for you. This is a moment for you. This is a life-changing moment for you. I'm so blessed to see these hands because I know what this hand represents. I know that Jesus changed my life, changed the whole direction of my life, changed the whole path in the best way, in the most beautiful way. And that's what he's inviting each and every one of you into right now. If you're online, lift your hand. This is beautiful. Father, I thank you for every hand that's up right now. Lord, I thank you that you chose each and every one of these individuals who's making a decision to follow you right now, God. That you've moved on their hearts and you've drawn them to you 
because you want relationship with them, God. You don't want just some new converts or some new adherents. Lord, you want children, kids for you to engage with and give yourself to, Lord. And so if that's you who's making a decision, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are the gift of God, that you are the son of God, that you really put on human flesh. You really paid the price for my sins. You died on a cross and resurrected from the dead. You're alive. You're speaking to me right now and you're offering me true life. I turn away from my old life. I repent from my sins and I completely turn away from them. And I turn towards you and I say, make me new, wash me clean, bring me into a new life. I commit myself to you. You are now my leader and I will follow you forever in Jesus' name.